You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. TechFan Podcast number 375. That's a lot of episodes in our uh, pocket there, David. 375 is kind of a nice not a round number. I was going to say even. It's not an even number, but a nice round number. It, it is amazing to think how many of these we have done now. And, and uh, In fact, I was beginning to run the stats and actually look at how many hours of podcasting that is, but I bet it's quite a few. Why would you want to do that to yourself? One <laughs> <laughs> way at a time. Mm. As, as, as we've both just been talking about, we've both got loads of time on our hands at the moment. So Yes. <laughs> probably wouldn't be very difficult. You'd probably just have to open up... Uh, well, you'd have to download every episode to something like... Um, I don't know. How would you do it? Because you, you have to have a running count. Does the RSS feed have every episode in it? Sure, but yeah, it doesn't. So I don't. Well, you could probably write a script that browse the RSS feed and then look to each file and try to figure out from from the metadata of the file how many, what what the time is, and then add it up. I bet uh, iTunes does it. Yeah, probably. So it's been a kind of a pre, or a. Post Black Friday, post Cyber Monday, which, by the way, Cyber Monday was a big fat nothing this year. Did you notice that? <laughs> well, because we've embraced Black Friday so hard, Cyber Monday is kind of a little bit of an afterthought. Yeah, we talked about this last week, but we recorded yeah. before Cyber Monday, and we said, and I, I think I was the one that said it, that Cyber Monday just doesn't feel like a thing anymore because everyone is embracing the Black Friday moniker, and it's a whole week now. Um, and so yeah. for some companies, it seems like it's a whole month. Um, but Cyber Monday came and went, and I got a couple emails about it. A couple websites popped up, but other than that, it was nobody took notice. Yep, just really uh, as as you say, kind of the sales start Black Friday, and then they kind of uh, Carry come it over. and go all all the way through past Christmas into New Year. So. So, in fact, it, it think, you think about it, a lot of stuff now is on sale all the time. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I linked to, um, what is it called here? It's on Recode. <clears throat> An Amazon revolt could be brewing as a tech giant exerts more control over brands. And this is what it really comes down to. Um Amazon already had a lot of control over many companies and how they sell their products on Amazon. And for those in the know, when you buy something on Amazon, there's probably a 50-50 chance that it's not actually being sold by Amazon. It's one of their distributing partners. <clears throat> yeah. And some companies directly sell on Amazon. Well, Amazon wants to put more stuff in Marketplace. Marketplace is Amazon selling you the product. You will know pretty quickly whether it's an Amazon sold product or it's a third party because if it doesn't qualify for prime shipping, i.e. free two-day shipping, then it's not Amazon. Yeah. So Amazon wants to have more control over the customer experience, and I get that. Um, and they've already had a lot of policies in place. One of the big ones is if you sell through Marketplace – they also don't want you to sell through a third-party distributor on Amazon. And I get that. But the problem now for a lot of manufacturers is that Amazon is starting to exert more and more control over those channels, how you can sell the product, pricing, um, packaging, 
it's getting a little for some companies too much. And in this particular story, a, uh, a company called Pocket, Pop Sockets is basically pulling out of Amazon because they, they not completely. Um, some third parties will still be selling, but it's third parties that they're not selling products to. So for all intents and purposes, they have ended their business relationship with Amazon because they want more control over their own destiny, really. So I guess if you're a manufacturer and you're not a large one, if you want access to Amazon's customer base, which, let's be honest, is the largest in the world, it's the largest customer base that any company in the history of the planet has ever had, you have to play by Amazon rules, at, at which point you're giving up a lot of control. So is it worth yeah. it? I don't know. Well, uh, th this is no its no different than the sort of control that Target or Walmart or any other big distributor, you know, puts into their, into their suppliers. Really. Not, well, it is in that uh, Amazon really doesn't have true competition. Yeah, if you're not on Amazon, you yeah. may not exist for eighty percent of the population. Yeah, that, that's 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 fair enough. But I, I think Amazon's approach will be: well, this is the sort of control that a Walmart or a Target or a, a other big supermarket chain would uh, would exert on their suppliers, and we're going to do the same. As you say, the, the difference is: yeah, they don't have much competition. But from the supplier's point of view, it's like: well, okay, but you're giving up a huge chunk of eyeballs to not deal with those policies um and uh is that yeah, as as you say is is that worth it i would I, I would imagine for most smaller companies it's not worth it because you need the sales sales is is business and you need to get the sales and i, I suspect you have to put up with what a lot of suppliers will will kind of mess you around on it's not is and it's not just where you are in the store how they distribute or sell your products as well it's also about payment terms and everything like that you know um these big companies are, are, are quite famous for they'll take your stuff and they'll sell it but they'll be very tardy about actually paying you what they owe you and that sort of thing as well and and unfortunately that's it's always the case of the big company versus a little company and the big company always abuses its position so I'm, look, right. I'm looking at this uh, <clears throat> chart, and it goes from uh, 2015 to 2018. And it's share of units sold by third parties and share of units sold by Amazon. At the beginning of 2015, Amazon, sold by Amazon, was about 60%. Today, at the end of 2018, it's less. <laughs> yeah. Uh, third parties now sell at about, looks like about 53, 54%, which means more than half, barely, but more than half of everything sold on Amazon is by third parties. And I think Amazon wants to reverse that trend. And I don't see a problem with that in and of itself. Behavior is one thing. That's something totally different. How Amazon implements these changes and treats their third party companies, that's different. But... I understand why Amazon wants to control the marketplace itself. I mean, it's their platform. They built it. Yeah, and, and just looking at this story, it's kind of weird because they're now uh, Pop Sockets, which is this 
that I've seen them in Target. They're the thing that goes on the back of your phone, and it's like a disc, and then you can pull it out and turn it into a handle. Yep. Um, yeah, it's, it's a neat little gadget if that's what you're into. Uh, they have all sorts of colours and styles and everything like that to to appeal to the younger kids. Um, so they're now going to remain on Amazon by selling through a, 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 a distributor. No, they're right. not. Amazon is barring that distributor from selling their products. Right. Because that's part of Amazon's longstanding policy that really wasn't enforced very often uh, until now. Right. So it's okay. not that it's not so much that Amazon is creating new policies to screw the little guy. It's that they're just enforcing these policies. Yeah. And if your business depended on them not enforcing a policy that was clearly stated and that you knew about, that's kind of your fault. Yeah. And, and well, yes, I mean, we've talked uh, many times over the, over the last few years about how, um, Ideally, as a business, you sh- you don't want to depend on a third party for part of your. Effectively, you've outsourced part of your business model, um, and obviously that does pose a risk in that if the if that third party changes the way they do business or enforces the way they do business, then that can negatively affect you. Oh, by um, the way, I got that backwards. Amazon Marketplace is where anybody can sell. Amazon Retail is Amazon selling. Yeah, well, that, that, so that's that's a second. That's the second nuance of this story, though, isn't it? Because marketplace is like the is like the eBay version of Amazon. Yep. Um, and um, Amazon have said that oh well, you can't sell on there either. But again, you still it's still part of the Amazon family. Um, the the difficulty with with dealing directly with Amazon is they like to do things like tell you what the price is going to be or announce that when there's a Black Friday sale for on, for instance that they're going to drop the price of your product by 40% and you're going to swallow that because they're not going to <laughs> and right. that's the thing a lot of people don't know about Amazon is that you know when stuff goes on sale or is regularly priced below what the retail recommended price is it's not Amazon giving you that money it's, it's the retailer <laughs> yes well yeah there have been instances, however, that Amazon just simply discounts a product, but these are products that they've already agreed to buy from the manufacturer um, at a certain price. So Amazon is not retroactively going back and going, now we're going to give you less now. Uh, oh, no, Amazon I, I does am, take I losses seen, on stuff like that. Yeah. I have seen stories where a price has been agreed between Amazon and the supplier, and then Amazon has decided to discount it and has turned around to the supplier and say, we're taking this out of your chunk. And if you don't like it, then we won't list the product items. And I've heard of that as well. Yeah, it has. Uh, and again, you get back to the fact that they're the biggest reseller in the world, bar none. There's no one even close. No. And some of this is in reaction to companies like Target and Walmart. That's it's been, uh, more, more Walmart than anybody else, to be honest. That they're getting a lot more popular on online sales. They really are. Um, I've bought stuff on Walmart.com. When I couldn't find uh-huh. a better price, I got it there. Yeah, and I got and I one of the options is to pick it up at the local store. Yeah, um, and you can use PayPal on Walmart. You can't use PayPal on Amazon, which I always found odd. Well, it's because they they want Amazon to be its own payment platform. You know, there are other retailers who will take Amazon payments, even if it's nothing to do with Amazon. They just use Amazon, the payment processor. Right. 
So, um, you know, they like they like to insert themselves. Oh, this this is really what this story is all about. They like to insert themselves into the transaction, and they want to exert as much control over the transaction between the customer and the products as possible. Um, and that's all about protecting the Amazon brand. And if that means disadvantaging or upsetting the supplier, they don't care. Did you, you know? see? Uh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I mean, this this article talks about a revolution. It's not going to be a revolution until everybody starts pushing back against Amazon, and they're not doing that at the moment. No, it's not going to happen. Yeah. What's going to happen is government regulation is going to change things. Yeah, well, yeah, and that to me is what I think Amazon should be more wary of because I the agree. current administration is not a fan of Amazon. No. For whatever reasons, and I think the reasons are probably stupid and petty, like many things in the current administration. Well, they're also just US, wrong. It's factually wrong what some of the things they've said. Yeah, but the point is, is that, uh, and you know, it's it's also related to the Washington Post and all of that sort of thing. And Jeff Bezos as a person, rather than Amazon as a company. But the point is, if you have the government coming after you, um, they can make big changes. They can break you up. They can do all sorts of things if they decide they want to. Yep. Till the president's in jail. Um, (laughs) Here's something I'm getting tired of. And I've noticed it for the last month or so. It's uninformed websites that promote themselves as an expert in a category. In this case, iPhone and Apple. Mm -hmm. Saying that um, Apple is panicking because of poor iPhone sales. Um, A, number one, how do you know that they have poor iPhone sales? At number two, aren't you tired of being proved wrong year after year? Because they do this all the time after Apple launches a new product. Remember last year, there were, all these websites were popping up, Paul Therott and places like this. Oh, Apple is panicking because no one is buying the iPhone X or iPhone X. Yeah. And yet it turns out, actually, a crap ton of people bought the iPhone X. Now they're saying yeah. the same thing with uh what is that the new r xr the 10r the, yeah, uh, the, the pirate 10R. version yeah um still a stupid name but i think these places have got it 100 percent wrong i know a lot of people i know i've met at least seven people in the last two weeks that have the iphone 10r and they got it because of the price point mm-hmm I've seen more of these than the other new ones. Yeah. So, so where are these places? Is it just speculation? Well, uh, it's easy to say, oh, there's not a lot of Tenar's been sold because they've they've not been on sale for as long. Right. Um, <laughs> anybody the say? And uh, the, the, there was also people going that was a reduction in 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 uh, kind of hardware parts ordering, and that indicated a, a slowing down in demand. In demand, I, again, people have said this in the past. It's turned out not to be true. Um, Well, that's because Apple sources from different places, and Apple works so far in advance. I mean, the stuff that they're putting in the the R was ordered by Apple a year ago or more. Exactly. It doesn't doesn't account for stockpiling of products. It doesn't account for the fact that they may have massively ramped up production right at launch, and then that stuff is sat in a warehouse ready to to meet the Christmas rush. It, It doesn't account for anything. It's a data point, and it doesn't mean anything until you put it together with other data points. And most people don't bother doing that. They just, you know... 
A plus uh, plus nothing equals C. All right. Which is which is what these things say is is all right. I have this one thing here, so I'm going to say that. Uh, and, and let's face it, people want to bash Apple because that brings in clicks. Yeah, it's all headline grabbing crap, and that's what I'm tired yeah. of. This is like yeah. saying, okay, we're watching this race, and hey, uh, number twenty two. His laps now. This is a, a 250 lap race. For the last 20 laps, he's running at half the speed he was at the beginning. He's in trouble. So that yeah. sounds like that would be oh wow, that's a big thing. Except you pull back and look at the larger picture. But everybody else is running at 75 percent speed or uh, slower uh, because of the rain. So the guy that's you know that you just talked about that's running half the speed that he was before is actually way 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 in front of everybody else. No one else has a chance to catch up. But you yeah. didn't tell us. You just said that the whole headline was he's running fifty percent slower. Yeah. Well, everybody else is running seventy five percent slower. <laughs> yeah. So now, what are you trying to yeah, say? A lot. Everyone's basically saying. Um, uh, there is a story here that, that people are trying to put together, which is, you know, Apple announced in their last results that they're not going to break out individual iPhone sales anymore. Um, and uh, also as well, uh, there's a lot of complaints about, which we've complained about as well, which is the uh, increase in pricing across Apple products across the board. It's, everything has basically gone up by about 20%. Yep. Uh, and they're, they're, they're basically trying to... Um, construct the old beleaguered storyline again and and throw into that now the, the news this week that everyone's been reporting that you know Apple stock has dipped and Microsoft is now more valuable than Apple which is a statistic that means absolutely nothing right um, and so yes it's people trying to construct a um, a story out of nothing the difficulty I have with all of this really and I agree with you is that there's plenty of things you can legitimately ding Apple for at the moment. Yes. It's just this isn't one of them. No. So, you know, concentrate on the things that are real and that you can discuss and improve that can maybe influence something for the future. But wild number speculation is pointless. If there was a trend, if there was a trend of this year on year on year and then um, Apple's uh, revenues and profits and everything like that matched, then maybe there would be a story there. But considering that Apple is still one of the most profitable companies in the world and is sitting on um, enough cash to fund a, another country, yeah, this story at the moment is just it's pointless. And you know what? It is going to happen at some point. Nobody can maintain the level of growth that Apple and Microsoft and these other companies are expected to deliver to Wall Street because it, ultimately you can't grow forever. Eventually you've sold something to everybody and they won't buy any more. And at that point, all of these metrics are going to come into play. You know, but again, it doesn't mean anything. It's all funny money at this point. Exactly. It's uh, it's disappointing, but yeah. it's not surprising. And it happens every single year. Every year this yeah. happens. It's yeah. tiring, to be honest. Yeah. Now, it's interesting, actually, having now had a good look at the 10R, I must admit, uh, <laughs> there's something about the way it looks that I don't like. <laughs> it, it, the, I, I think it's that kind of wide, curved aluminium sideband. It makes it look thick. It does chunky. give it, yeah, but you hold one in your hand, and I have. Uh, my business partner, Alex, uh, bought one, and I got to hold it and play with it for a second. It's a fine phone. Um, yeah. I didn't see... It, it, the funny thing is not all apps are optimized for it. So yeah. I launched the same app on his phone. Because technically his screen is larger than my 
uh, my iPhone, and I've got the eight plus, You've which got is the 8 plus, a like me. big screen. Um, half the apps are not optimized, so it actually took up less screen real estate than my phone did. But some of things, like Safari, for instance, really showcase how large that screen really is. That was impressive. It did not make me want to buy one in the least, simply because my eight plus is way more sufficient than you know. I, these phones are not offering anything I don't already have. Not yeah. really. Now, well, if yeah, I was they, at they, a they, seven they the, or the a face six, ID tech, but that's not something you particularly want. No, I don't want the face stuff right now. I haven't worked yeah. out how I'm going to use it to unlock my phone quickly, and it has different gestures simply because it doesn't have the home button, and I don't want to retrain my mind right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's this. I think the Apple's probably selling a gangbuster number of these phones, and I think these websites got it a hundred percent wrong. Um, by the way, my, uh, my that little Commodore arrived. Yeah. Yeah, I gave it to Julie, and I said, "This is one of my presents." Go right. You can wrap it, and my other present uh, should be here. I think Wednesday, and it is the PlayStation Classic. Have you seen this? Cool. I've I've seen the website reviews. I haven't seen one in first in person yet. Right, they're either saying this isn't a great little thing, or it's the hardcore. Oh, this sucks! They didn't put the greatest games on here. Crap! And it's like, ugh. Um, yeah. It looked like fun to me. I saw the list of games. I knew probably forty percent of the games. The other ones I'm vaguely familiar with, but probably never played. But it looks like a nice little unit. I thought it, it's cool looking, um, and I want to play it. So that's my other Christmas present. Cool. And it's inexpensive. It's less, it's like a hundred bucks. Yeah. yeah. Which was almost double what the Commodore 64 one was. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, right now on my desk, I've got my super Nintendo mini sitting here. Cause I was playing it the other day. Mm-hmm. It's a fun little system. Yeah, it is. You know, it's I good. enjoy it. I, I'm drinking coffee from my tech fan mug this morning. <laughs> Where's mine? Hmm. Uh, we sent you the vinyl, didn't we? Uh, I think you did, actually, yes. Yes, you did. You probably put it on a car that you no longer have. Uh, that may be true. <laughs> I have to have Julie get you another one. Okay. With the new Distrust logo. All right. That'll be cool. That'd I be sent you cool. over a link on messaging from this guy on uh, Business Insider. I've used Apple computers my entire life. Here's why I'm never buying one again. First of all, that, I mean, you talk about annoying things on the internet. This is this is also the annoying thing, which is the people who dramatically announce that they're not using this again, or they're they're leaving Apple, or they're leaving Microsoft, or they're leaving Google, or whatever it is. It's like who cares? Who yeah. cares what you're doing? For a start, we don't believe you because no. you're a journalist who wants clicks. Yeah? Yes, uh, and that framing is so tired now. Yep. Yeah, and then you, when you actually read the article, it's such garbage, which being on Business Insider nowadays doesn't really surprise me. Um, but uh, this basically was a shill piece. He, um, it, he, he used this framing to uh, reflect an interview he'd done with the guys at iFixit. And when you understand that, that kind of that kind of colours your approach because most of us in the tech community who know iFixit know what their attitude is to 
tech, which is they're not happy that um, latest the latest models of computers and tablets are, are so unrepairable because that's part of their business is repairing and no, selling. No, that is their business. Yeah, I mean that's a hundred percent of their business. Yeah, and and you know I'm a bit advocate for repairing your own stuff or upgrading your own stuff or make or modifying yeah. your own stuff. We both are, to be honest. Yeah. We like that stuff, not as much as we used to because we're not young and it's only so many hours in the day. But that being said, we like to get in and tinker with things. And if my battery on my phone is is dying, why shouldn't I be able to replace it? Um, so I I get that aspect of it, but I found it disingenuous well yeah as i say it wasn't he wasn't straightforward about the angle for his story um the other thing as well is that i think the the problem with that whole um and and obviously i agree with you i'm you know i'm sat here using an older computer here now uh, i've got lots and lots of old computers and i like messing around with them all the time and i like to be able to upgrade them and do things to them but i i think the problem with that criticism and that approach is you completely utterly discount the advantages that these um, closed systems give to us now we've got computers that are effectively magical compared to what we had 10 years ago yep. in terms of well, battery life, years performance, ago. quality 15 years ago not 10 10 years ago they okay. weren't a whole lot different than they are now to be honest uh, alright 2008 maybe um, that was the start of the MacBook Air era which, mm-hmm. which is when this really kind of took off in computers um, and OS X you know, was I've, very I've, robust yeah I've had to deal with this at work. We've got Dell laptops. Um, well, we had one recently where uh, the Dell XPS 13, which is kind of like a MacBook. Um, uh, it was an Ultrabook. Yeah, it's a, it's a thin unit, sealed up, that sort of thing. Now, they can be repaired by Dell. We had a user who had managed to um, take a key off it, but not uh, had uh, he, the way done it. I don't know how he did this, but he managed to not only lose the keycap, but he did actually ripped out all the stuff underneath the keycap which makes that key work. So the entire keyboard needs to be replaced. Because he tried to fix it himself. He screwed something I, up. And I don't. To, to be honest, knowing this guy, I don't think he did. I think he was just incredibly clumsy. He must have dropped something really heavy onto it or yeah. something. Um, and and to fix that, they had to replace the keyboard, which mean, meant disassembling the entire computer. Right? Um, and, yeah, that's a pain in, pain in the back, in the backside, when it, it becomes an expensive repair, for something that should, you know, in the old days, replacing keyboard was, was you know, depending on which model you had, was either trivial, or if it wasn't trivial, it was quite easy. It's now a complete and utter disassembly job, which is kind of crazy. Um, but the, the advantage you get to, to that limitation is that you get do get these machines that are incredibly thin and light and powerful and last all day, because everything is so tightly packed in there. They are... Um, effectively taking the sorts of procedures that Sony used to apply to things like the Walkman and the Minidisc and the Discman, and they've applied it to much larger mainstream electronics now. Mm-hmm. So everything effectively is tightly, tightly miniaturized, and the disadvantage of that is you lose the uh, you lose the ability to repair them yourselves. They become uh, highly technical repairs, and in some cases, repairs are impossible. And you have to throw the unit away and replace it with a new one. Uh, and again, I think that reflects the fact that the commoditization of electronics means that while that's quite wasteful and some of these computers are expensive they're nowhere near as expensive as they used to be no they're not if you look at if you look at the and the prices have stayed broadly the same um apart from recently say in the apple lineup for the last 10 years you know the price points have been the same and yet the value of that money has gone down every year due to inflation that's right so 
yeah, you know, a computer that was a thousand dollars ten years ago or even fifteen years ago, yeah, is is effectively it's half the price it used to be due to inflation. So Not quite, but you, pretty close. Yeah. So you put all of that together, and then perhaps the macroeconomics of having a thing that's effectively un, an expensive thing that's unrepairable and needs full replacement when you need to have it replaced is uh, you can it kind of makes more sense. And we see this with Apple. You see it with Microsoft. If, with, if you've got a Microsoft Surface uh, and and it breaks under warranty, you you send it back to them. They replace it with a new one or yep. a refurbished one. Yeah. Probably and a refurb. Yeah, but even so, a refurbished one effectively is as good as a new unit mm-hmm. uh, in most in most cases. Now, you you wouldn't do that with a car, <laughs> no. but a car is designed to be more fixable, uh, and a laptop isn't. And the economics must work for these big companies to be able to replace units rather than um, rather than just just you know saying right, let's give me the shop for three weeks while we try and repair it. You sent me a picture that I got a kick out of in the same little message thread yeah from a soccer field <laughs> at this giant screen um, it's, it's like it's like covering like, like um probably six or seven sections of the back row of a stadium yeah you know it's, it's huge. one of those things that likes it's designed to, to to look good on tv and it says activate windows The word activate in, in that thing must be at least seven or eight feet tall. <laughs> at least. I would say it's probably taller than that. Yeah. Looking actually, at the, yeah, looking yeah, looking at the, at the picture it. and, and the scale, it's, yeah. the activate windows is an entire section of the stadium. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the screen is just blue, and it just says activate windows. And then underneath there's a big like button, and he's clicking. That's about 30 feet across. It's, it's hilarious. Um, oh, yeah, I, I, it, it does kind of boggle the mind, really, that some of these big, big displays are all running on effectively. I, I've heard there's a guy I listen to on a security podcast called Steve Gibson, and he calls all desktop operating systems toys. He says, you know, compared to the sort of stuff they used to build to put into the space program, where effectively it had to always work, and if it didn't work, you had to have four or five routes to get around a problem. Yeah, those were like real, you know, that's real sort of like dedicated engineering computing. And compared to that, everything in the commodity desktop space is like a toy in that, you know, it's just close. Well, as long as it works 90% of the time, that's good enough. Um, and uh, and it, it amazes me that for something as critical as displaying large images on the screen, they would use uh, effectively a commodity off-the-shelf operating system rather than something that's been hard adapted to be right. more reliable. Because we see this all the time. You go into airports and train stations and everything, and you'll always find one or two display screens with a, a blue screen of death or um, a, Windows, <laughs> a Windows... I've seen them on ATMs. On the top of it. I've seen them at ATMs. I've gone up to an ATM, and it was Windows. It had crashed. And it's like, yeah. really? Uh, but to be fair, custom soft, uh, operating software is very difficult to do, and I would imagine there's a lot less people doing that now than just simply writing an app for Windows. Yeah. Yeah, there are, but that's... Um that's a, an issue, though, isn't it? Because effectively, we're getting a dumbing down of all our computing systems. Well, the real yeah. hardcore t- stuff's gone. You know, um, there will come a day at some point in the future 
where something critical somewhere will fail because it's running on a commodity OS and um, there will be big consequences. Yes. Uh, like, you know, a hotel hang chain getting hacked or 50 million users. Oh, wait, that happened this week. Never mind. Um, anyway, yeah, by the way, don't play it down. It's 500 million users. Five, okay. Right? <laughs> well, tomato, tomato. Uh, uh, and, you know, they... they, they they noticed it after four years. I think that's fair enough. Yeah, it took them a little bit, but they got there. Yeah. So if you guys are using computers, and I imagine you are, or your phone, and you need to plug it in occasionally, you need cables. It's one of those things, David, that we kind of overlook, the importance of cables. I had hours before trying to fix something until I realized it was a freaking cable. A USB cable had gone to pot, and once I replaced the cable, the printer worked fine. Um, it happens more often than people probably think. And we ask a lot of our cables. We're bending them, twisting them. We're leaving them in the car where they sub-zero temperatures or blazingly hot temperatures. And we just expect them to work. A little piece of rubber or plastic wrapped around a copper wire. That's most cables out there, right? Yep. So you got to replace your cables occasionally. And if you have the need... Our sponsor, OWC, has you covered. They've got pretty much cables for um, pretty much all the modern systems out there. HDMI, heck, they even got old Firewire cables still. Video cables, Thunderbolt 2, 3, the original power cables, certified ones, audio cables, Ethernet, USB, Lightning. They've got it all. So I'm going to put a link in the show notes to OWC's section of cables. Some of them... They actually make themselves now. Like they've yeah. been doing that for many years. Um, and if you get a brand name, chances are it's going to have a warranty behind it. It's going to be a quality product. Instead of these, I've seen lightning cables in a dish at a gas station for $5.99. Why the hell would I ever buy such a cheap, junky cable? I don't, I don't oh. trust those kind of cables. Yeah, and and again, we were talking about Amazon before. The problem, one of the problems with Amazon, the way it approaches, is you you often don't know who's supplying the cable. Mm-hmm. Even if it has a brand name on it, sometimes depending on the on the vendor, Apple will substitute, uh, Amazon will substitute that when they send it to you if they can't get it available. So you don't really know what you're getting, and uh, getting warranties off the people who sell stuff on Amazon sometimes can be difficult. If you if it was supplied by Amazon, fine, you just return it. Um, but that actually that doesn't help you because you return it, you get your money back, and you still don't have a cable. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Whereas you go to a company that that has verified the cables, has tested the cables, knows their suppliers, and make sure that they're they're reliable and they work. And then they also have a proper warranty response. Well, they'll replace it with a a, a working one if you have a problem with it. Is great. And you know their prices. Looking at their special offers at the moment are not not any different than Amazon's. No, it's the same pricing point. So if you guys need cables in your life, and we all do, I'm going to put a link at both MyMac.com and TechFanPodcast.com in show number 375. Click that link over and get the cables you need. David, I liked this message from you. Once again, we're going to go back to this. Mm-hmm. Now, I received this at one 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 fifty a.m., on Friday from David and it reads daredevil question mark, question mark, question mark. Really? Question mark. Has Netflix lost its mind? Question mark. I assume that you watched 
Daredevil season three. Thoroughly enjoyed it as well as I did. I think it's the second best of the three seasons. Yeah. Um, was dying to see what happens next. And it's over and done with. It's canceled. Canceled. Now, this is a broader topic than just Daredevil. It's they already canceled Luke Cage, which after the second season, no big loss because I thought they did. I, I got the impression that the first season was pretty good. The second season was pretty bad that they don't really know what to do with the character. Mm-hmm. Not not really. They They weren't expanding this character at all. They weren't making him better. There was no journey, not really. Uh, same thing with um, Iron Fist, but the opposite. The first season was atrocious. The second one was marginally better, uh, but still no real direction for the, cu- the character, except for at the very end of the second season, where they jump ahead like six months. And I was like, holy crap, that's the story I want to see. That looks really good. Canceled. Um, they still have two more Marvel series coming on Netflix, Jessica Jones and Punisher. Punisher season two, Jessica Jones season three. They will be effectively canceled within a week or two after they air. Yeah. And this is a broader sweep. I think it's an agreement between Disney and Netflix that they don't, they being Marvel, don't want Netflix to have control over these characters and stories anymore. I think Marvel actually does have plans, long-term plans for these characters. And it doesn't include this Netflix series. I think they're, way more gritty than than Disney really wants them to be. They want to bring them more back into the MCU proper. And it's hard to do when it's street level superheroes. Mm-hmm. How how do you how do you take Daredevil and put him in Infinity War? I think they could have pretty easily actually. At least a 10 second clip of Daredevil disappearing like a, a whole bunch of people at the end of Infinity Wars. So that would have been awesome. Yeah. But they don't even give lip service to it even though at least the Netflix shows do give lip service to a certain extent to the movies. They make, yeah, they make it clear with little snippets of dialogue that they occur in the same universe. Yeah. But, um, no more than that. And you, um, you never get, um, even minor characters from the, from the movie series turning up in these ones. No, never. Which I think was a mistake. Yeah. Yeah, I've read all the excuses. Well, we don't know how to incorporate the shooting schedules with those shows and when they're going to come out with the movie. Shut up. You don't have to give an exact timeline when Infinity Wars takes place as opposed to, you know, the Kingpin being in prison in season two of you don't have to do that stuff. Um, That being said, do you think Disney is just going to continue these series on the Disney Plus or maybe Hulu, because they own a controlling interest in Hulu. Or do you think that they're effectively canceling them and going to reboot all of these characters eventually? Because they're not going away. They're not going to disappear forever. They're not going to leave Daredevil or the Punisher on a shelf. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the problem is, is, is are they going to take the success of those TV series and try and build off them for this um, the, for their own, their own new streaming services? Or are they going to rest them so that they've just got control of the IP again and they're not trying to have to have to worry about uh, if they want to use Daredevil in the uh, in the movie series, uh, having to fit it in with the continuity from the TV series? 
you know, um, they, maybe they... The, the problem is, if they want to say... Daredevil's the best example, because I think it's probably the first one they would use. It's very unlikely they would put Luke Cage in the middle of... Uh, no, or in, Iron in Fist. The mid, in the middle of a, of a Spider-Man movie or something like that, really. Um, Daredevil's... Obviously, it was the first series. It was the most well-established one, uh, and it was also the best received. So you would imagine that character would be one they would be thinking about using. But the question then is, yeah, they wouldn't want to have um, a Daredevil in the movies who's different from the uh, from the Daredevil on the TV. I mean, that was a problem that, that uh, the DC movies already faced because there's a very successful Flash TV show, and yet it's not in the same continuity as the Flash in the, in the uh, movies. And I think that's one of the problems with DC. Yeah. So, so they, I, I'm sure they wanted to avoid that. But then the question is, do they take the uh, effectively the production set up for Daredevil and redo it, perhaps modify it a bit, or and do it again uh, and continue it on, or do they wipe the slate clean, recast and reimagine, or do they just do nothing with it and say, right, we're going to take Daredevil off the TV for a few years and then use him the way we want to use him? I don't know. Um, I don't. I think none of us know enough about what's going on inside Marvel Studios. And let's be clear, this is this is this is peripherally a Disney thing, but this is actually more of a Marvel Studios thing. Yeah, absolutely really, is. Disney corporate and Marvel Studios are working together, and they want total control of all their characters, and they want to be able to produce all this stuff themselves. Joseph Loeb was has been in charge of all the Marvel TV stuff, including Agents of Shield, Cloak and Dagger, over on whatever thing that's on. Um, and then this, all the Netflix stuff. And he yeah. doesn't give get along from everything I've read with Kevin Feige, who does all the Marvel Cinematic Universe stuff. And it's, yeah. and it's Kevin Feige who is basically, it looks like anyways, from the outside looking in because of this consolidation of everything going to Disney Plus um, and the success that Kevin Feige has had with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is no one could ever argue. I mean, it's gigantic. It's bigger than Star Wars. Um, they're giving him more control over the entire entirety of the Marvel stuff. Because remember, Marvel Cinematic Universe is about to become a lot bigger. They're getting yeah. all the X-Men. They're getting, they already got Spider-Man. Although I'm kind of worried that, you know, Sony might pull that back, which yeah. I just hope Disney throws us a, a crap ton of money at it and just takes it all. Um, and then, of course, X-Men and Fantastic Four. It's all coming into the Disney Cinematic Universe. From a fan standpoint, I think it's great. Um, I've read places online saying, oh, this is bad. They're going to have a monopoly over these characters. That's never good. Uh, Fox should definitely... Shut up. It's all their characters. They they created these characters. They should have... If If Sony wants to have their own superhero universe, then create it. They just bought yeah. the rights to somebody else's creation. And nobody does, nobody, nobody does the Marvel characters better than Sony. With the exception of maybe what we saw with Old Man Logan. That movie was breathtaking. And Deadpool yeah. was breathtaking. But, well, I don't want to say breathtaking for, it was entertaining. Uh, yeah. Deadpool 1 and 2. I liked them a lot. But that wasn't the studio. That was the creators doing something with them. And, and Disney can hire those creators anyways. And who's to say that Marvel's take on those same stories wouldn't have been better? Yeah, exactly. Um, it, it all comes down to actually 
the studio getting out of the way, providing the financing, and then trusting the creators to deliver something good. That's and to be honest with you, that's one of the advantages of what Netflix did is yep. they didn't interfere. They just said, right, go and do it the way you think it should be done. Uh, and, and yet, it, was it variable? Absolutely. Was well, the, net, the problem with Netflix yeah. is I don't think that Netflix or the creators were listening to the criticisms of the shows, at least for the Marvel stuff. And everybody, I think, universally agreed that, with the exception of Daredevil, and, and maybe even to a, a lesser extent, Daredevil, each season was too long because they didn't have enough story to fill, but there was some kind of a mandate from Netflix or Marvel or whoever that you have to do 10 episodes or you have to do 12 episodes when some of them would have benefited greatly for six episodes. Yeah. Or, or yeah. each, each episode could be a standalone story. You didn't have to have this 12 episode hour, each 12 hours opus that you have to tell of this one particular story. Daredevil season two was a prime example of that going against the grain. There was effectively two different storylines, the Electra one and the Punisher one, and they tied yeah. them together at the end. That yeah. was great. That's what made Daredevil season two. So fantastic. Even uh, though I think it's number three, when it comes to ranking the Daredevil seasons. Yeah, I think I, and I think, you know, with, with the, the long, the long shadow of TV series like Lost, which first did this kind of yep. arc over a season thing. Um, hopefully we're getting slightly beyond that shadow now because I, I think there is a place for standalone episodes in these TV shows. Um, and there is a place for moving a, a general arc along without having every single episode being solely about the arc. Um, and interestingly enough, uh, another TV show that had this problem, which was Doctor Who, um, they, you know, they, they they've changed creators this year. They've got a new showrunner, um, and uh, he has uh, obviously they've shaken it up a bit. They've recast the Doctor as a woman now. Oh, the they is, ruined the character. Oh, <laughs> it's a girl. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's a sop to feminism. They don't oh, deserve God. it. Oh you know, yeah. God, that, anyway. that just that irritated and, and me she, so bad. Let me tell you, she's fantastic. She's absolutely fantastic. She's hit the ground running with the character. But the point is, I've never the, watched Doctor Who. Well, the, the 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 last few seasons, the um, showrunner who was running it was doing these big, long, complicated arcs all the way through the season, and it, um, it, sometimes it really didn't work at all. Right. They've gone very much back this season to kind of episodes of the week type things with no, virtually no story arc stuff in it at all. And you know what? It's a refreshing change, and it's enjoyable. Yeah. And I think more um, TV shows should be uh, willing to do that. No. Do you want to go into our wiki trolling, or do you want to save that again? Because we've got about ten minutes before you have to have a hard stop. Uh, if you think we've got time to cover it, we shall cover it. Well, I think this is a good one. It's Vector Monitor. Um, yep. David, you put this one into the show notes a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And um, I think there's probably a few people listening to this show that tangentially ten, no, what's the word I'm looking for? Ten Tangentially? Yes, thank you. I just couldn't say it. Mm -hmm. I don't think even after you said it, I can say it. I don't know why. <laughs> um, tangentially, I give up. Um, understand what that there's a difference between a regular monitor and a vector monitor. But they don't really know the difference. Not really. Other than one's green and one has color. <laughs> yeah. And, of course, anybody who's been... Who's, who's, uh, 
younger than about 10, 15 years old probably ne- has never ever seen either of these things because now everything's LCD and uh, you don't just TV mon- TVs and monitors just don't work like this anymore. But back in the day, when we had big glass cathode ray tube monitors, so a big glass uh, bell at the front with the screen on it and then a long neck at the back that was a vacuum, there was two ways of drawing a picture. You could either scan a line over every single part of the picture very, very quickly. And uh, that's what and, CRT and, is. And that, that's that, what we yeah, that's, use. That's what a regular TV did or a regular monitor. Um, but the other thing you could do um, is you could actually just use that to draw particular points. So you could actually say, right, I want to draw something at the top left and the bottom right of the screen, and I want the beam to go down between them back and forth. And that produces a glowing line. Uh, and that's what a vector monitor did. And it wasn't just one line. It basically drew a whole... It was kind of like an Etch-A-Sketch, really. <laughs> it would refill the... Hey, David, let me interrupt you for a second. Do you hear a high-pitched whine? Only coming out my mouth. (laughs) Okay, it's starting to go away now. I was hearing something. I don't know if it was just me or if it was an actual, I don't know, some kind of a... No, I can hear it again. But it's super high-pitched. I don't know if it's being recorded or not or if, you know, the compression of this audio file, this podcast is going to get rid of it. But if it's there, I do apologize to the listeners. If not, um, I, and no one else but me can hear it. Someone please recommend a good psychologist. It's probably psychotherapist. Yeah, I think you need a neurologist. Yeah, neurology. (laughs) You're having audio audio hallucinations. Yes, yeah. Right, let's hope it's it's not that. That would be bad. That would be part of the course, but, you know. Uh Uh-huh. So, so these these monitors basically drew a picture, kind of like an etch a sketch on the screen. So it just was just lines joined together. They're all monochrome, uh, and um, basically the uh, the phosphor on the front of the screen was different, so it would hold the image for longer. And if you've ever seen classic arcade games such as Asteroids, Asteroids is a, or, yeah, that's the probably the one that's yeah. the most well known. Yeah, that everyone listening to this show has seen. You'd get this yeah. little glow of your ship when you move. Yeah. It was completely a mistake, by the way. You're not supposed. It was only drawing the little triangle ship. It wasn't drawing a line. But when the ship moved, the phosphorus on the screen gave it this impression of kind of a thrust that it had been there. Yeah. It was brilliant. Yeah, it was a total mistake, but it worked. Yeah, and if you've ever seen, uh, if you've ever watched Top Gun and stuff like that, um, the heads-up displays that you, you get shown that the pilots look through to show them where to, uh, you know, all the flight information and the targeting information, I think, that is also a vector display. Um, and, uh, yeah, the, for, for a while, there was basically a whole load of video games and screen technologies um, relying on, on this. One of the classic ones was the uh, original Star Wars arcade game, which was vector-based. Yep. Uh, and the advantage was back then is you could do... Very sharp, really pin sharp, because there was no anti-aliasing or anything, pin sharp graphics uh, that moved very quickly, which were much harder to do with the computing hardware of, of the early 80s. And from, uh, using, yeah. Using a CRT monitor. Yeah, and, and because the vector graphics was hardware-based rather than software-based, the software is just telling it where to put the pinpoint. You can actually have uh, faster motion games using vector motion. Because it yeah. wasn't relying on the hard code, which was limited at the time, 
of, okay, draw this, now draw this, now draw this, yeah. and put a square here. It didn't have to have those problems. And usually if there was a background on some of those video games, it was an overlay. It wasn't computer-generated, a lot of that stuff. It yeah. was it was needed technology at the time. Um, it's kind of run its course, although you'll still find it in new oscilloscopes and stuff like that. But vector graphics, I mean, it's kind of a dead technology at this point. Wouldn't you agree? It is, but you know, something I I I, I hold a, a fond regard for because I always really liked the games that that came out from that technology, um, and I think it was a a very interesting and innovative way of taking something that had come out of industry, the oscilloscopes, uh, and turning it something that was more mainstream. Well, we've got uh, um, an occasional co-host, Owen Rubin. His game, his big game anyways, Major Havoc, that he created at Atari back in the 70s, was a vector graphic game. Yeah, and he also worked with the, the guy who did Battlezone, which was the tank game, that was also very well known for having this particular look. Yeah, if you want to know about the exploding volcano in the background, you could thank Owen for that in, in, yeah. uh, in that game. <laughs> yeah. Um and yeah, you're right, it has kind of it, it gone away now. But um, the thing that I always wanted back in the day when, when this was popular, there was a there was a home console that used... Vectrex. <laughs> yeah, really, I really wanted a Vectrex. I still want I one. You don't, I, you don't have one. No. I, I'd have thought you have one in your collection. They're always expensive. Every yeah. single time I try to go get a Vectrex, they're expensive. And here's the thing. Uh, a Vectrex, it, it comes with the monitor. It that's kind yeah. of where the whole, I actually know a little bit of the history of that game. The company built the game simply because they had an overabundance of these vector monitors. They wanted to do something with it. So they built this home arcade system in a good 20 games, maybe. Um, yeah. And that was it. So what's out there is it's, you, you can't really faithfully recreate any kind of a vector game on something like a raspberry or a retro pie or something you you really can't you can you can make it look pretty damn good but it's still not the same no it's an approximation because the technology is completely different yeah so ve vector uh, vector graphics um yeah one right of those now, things 150 dollars 177 dollars uh 305 dollars yeah, there's one here at twelve one thousand two hundred fifty pounds. That's that's one with all the all the games. That's that's clearly a rare Vectrex arcade console with and game lot working free U.S. shipping, five hundred and eighty four dollars. I ain't spending that much money for the the games. Kind of sucked on it, and to get color, you put this color overlay plastic thing over the front of it, and yeah. Yeah, I, I could have bought one back in the day for like fifty bucks, and I thought, yeah, I don't want that, and. When I first got into retro game collecting, before the rest of the planet caught on, like in 2001, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I, I bought some very expensive game systems back then, and I still have them, for pennies compared to what they are now. Well, the price of all this retro stuff is, is I, I don't know if you noticed this, but I've noticed it all seems to have really shot up over the last three, four years maybe. Perhaps it's the nostalgia movement coming back to haunters. But actually, the price is starting to go down. Yeah, there's shows on on YouTube that kind of really started to popularize it. The probably the biggest one is called the Game Chasers. Mm -hmm. um, it's worth watching. It's it's actually really entertaining. 
uh, they go to flea markets and garage sales and, uh, and they look for vintage video games and they look for, you know, when they find a super rare one, that's really expensive. It's kind of exciting. And it's kind of like, um, Oh, what's that show where they, the guys that go and storage wolves. No, that's different. Um, where they, they actually go to places, they drive a big van. There's two of them. Uh, wow. I'm completely drawing a blank. Everyone. I, if I listen to the show back, I'm going to be screaming at myself. Anyways, um, they go out and they find stuff and they buy it and it's all old stuff. But I, the game chasers is a very entertaining show. And I think that kind of set this whole thing off because they were buying games in season one, which is like 10 years ago. Now it's how long they've been doing this. Um, you know, they would get, you know, really good prices. And now everybody knows what the prices of these things were. So the prices shot sky high. I think it's kind of run its course in some respects. Um, a lot less people are out there trying to get these old games because of stuff like the Nintendo minis. Mm. Um, and the prices are starting to come down a little bit, not greatly, but they are starting to come down a little bit. Well, hopefully I can offload some of my stuff before they come down. <laughs> yeah, my problem is I don't want to offload my stuff. I want to keep my vintage yeah, video game I, stuff. Well, the, the thing is, is when I back when I was collecting, uh, it, with with me it was more old computers rather than uh, video games. Um, I would end up with three or four different ones of the same different types of the same model, and now I've got them all kind of in storage and I just need to downsize so so that's vector graphics um, it's really cool technology especially for the time uh, good choice there David I like that cool so we're gonna wrap up this episode of tech fan we do encourage your feedback we didn't get any for the last show which I was kind of surprised about uh, we got quite a bit from the show before so send us feedback it's real easy to do the problem is I didn't give the email address last week, so people forgot. It's the show at techfanpodcast.com. Uh, the show at techfanpodcast.com. Uh, or go to mymac.com or techfanpodcast.com and leave a comment in the show notes, and we'll read them here live. Well, it's live when we recorded it. Um, and, of course, make sure you visit our sponsor, uh, OWCMacSales.com, especially for your cables like we talked about. David, thanks for being here, and uh, you got a heart out, so we'll let you go. See you next week. Thanks. See you next week. Bye. Mm-hmm.